Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 58 of Season 4 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we got a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal McGrine rom-com, When Harry Met Sally, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Todd Liebenau of the Forgotten Filmcast. Welcome back to the show, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully we'll find a good gift here for uh, for Marie and Jess today. I don't know. I think, I think we should have just gone to the plant store. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Who knows? So, uh, minute 58 begins with Harry dunking and ends with Sally chiming in. So, we ended things yesterday with Harry and Sally, or with a shot of uh, the outside of the store, the sharper image. And then the shot changes, and we get to see Harry and Sally inside the store. So it starts off with Harry uh, actually dunking a a basketball in a basketball net. And he is thrilled. He says, I have to get this. I have to get it. <laughs> I think I, I, I've read before that Billy Crystal is a pretty big basketball fan. I think he... He's more of a baseball the fan. NBA. I know that. He's, he's a... You know, he, he was actually the oldest player... To ever play for the New York Yankees. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we discussed <laughs> this at the beginning of the, probably in the first episode, where he, or maybe it was the second episode, where he was actually, you know, invited to spring training at the Yank for the Yankees when he was uh, sixty, or for when he was fifty nine, and they they, you know, he he had like one at bat mm-hmm. uh, during spring training, and then they they released him on his birthday. Wow. Something like that. You know, it was like it was a birthday present for his 60th birthday to to let him come play, which is still pretty cool. Yeah. You know, regardless. I actually <laughs> went to a basketball game for the first time in uh, an NBA basketball game for the first time in about 20 years, two nights ago. Uh, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did you, you get to play? No, of course not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is, Did you want to play? I are you are you are you that much of a basketball fan? No, no. I I mean I I, I find basketball more interesting than than certain other sports, <clears throat> football. Uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> but no, I just I mean I if I'm going to go to a, a a sporting event, I usually go to a baseball game. Uh, but my office was doing a special event, and and so we got to go see the. Denver Nuggets play the Indiana Pacers the other night. So that was fun. Ooh, fun, fun, fun. Sounds sounds like you guys had fun. Yeah. So let, let, let's start off and we'll talk more a little bit about basketball. So what what Harry does here is he dunks the ball. What do, what do you know about dunking a basketball? About dunking a basketball? Oh, I know nothing about dunking a basketball other than the ball goes into the basket. <laughs> No, the idea is of jumping, jumping up, and you know, yeah. basically pushing the ball, you know, reaching the rim and putting the ball in, kind of slamming. That's the idea, yeah. you're, or above the. You're, that's right. That's why it's called the slam dunk. Right. Right. It is a base basketball shot that's performed when a player jumps in the air, controls the ball uh, above the horizontal plane of the rim, and scores by shoving the ball directly through the basket with one or both hands. Okay. Uh, the shot was originally known as a dunk shot until the, the term was, was coined slam dunk 
by uh, the LA Lakers announcer Chick Hearn. Mm. He changed uh, the name of it. It uh, they now have slam dunk contests, uh, usually around the the All Star game for for basketball, uh-huh. which uh, began in 1976 when they started doing that. Uh, the NCAA actually banned slam dunking between 1967 and 1976. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I thought it was, of, a, it was a fairly new you know, phenomenon in, in basketball. It's not something that uh, yeah. Yeah, goes way back. But no, I'm sorry. What were you saying? It, they were, they were banning I was saying it that it was, it, was because, it was because of a particular phenomenon. Oh, oh wait. Uh, I think I know. Named, named Lou Alcindor. And it's known as the Lou Alcindor rule. Now, who is Lou Alcindor? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. What were you going to say before? You were just well, about to was, jump in and I say was, something. I was wondering if the reason that was banned was because they were breaking too many backboards. And, you know, I mean, no, the schools had no. to keep replacing them. No, 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 no. It was, it was because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, ah. whose, whose real name is Lou Alcindor. And they, there were, there were claims that it was uh, racial motivations, because most of the the prominent dunkers in in basketball in the NCAA were African Americans, and so they, they claimed that that was the reason. No one really knows the exact reason why they stopped it, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, in '76 they they let it happen again. Um, the very first person to be known to dunk a ball was a player named Joe Fortenberry who was playing for the McPherson Globe Refiners in 1936. And he did it in uh, the Madison Square Garden. Uh, there are players like Russell, Will Chamberlain, uh, David Thompson, Julius Irving, Daryl Dawkins, uh, who, you know, were commonly known for dunking the ball all the time. I, I found a whole list of a whole bunch of different types of dunks. I'm just going to list them. I'm not going to explain what the differences are because I'm not really a basketball mm-hmm. fan and it would take too long to do this, but they have the double clutch, the tomahawk, the windmill, the between the legs, the elbow hang, the dunk modifiers, the alley-oop, the baseline dunk, the from a distance dunk, from the free throw, throw line dunk, which to me is like amazing that someone can actually jump from the free throw line no kidding. You know, and still do it. Yeah. Yeah. So Gus Johnson was uh, who played for the Baltimore Bullets in the 60s, um, was the person who he broke three different uh, uh, backboards during his career. And then uh, another player named Luke Jackson uh, shattered another backboard in 1968. And that game was delayed for over a half hour <laughs> when they had to uh, try to, to, to clean up sure. uh, the mess, yeah. more or less. Okay. There are, there, there's even a, a case where there were two, uh, Daryl Dawkins of the Philadelphia 76ers, he had two glass-shattering dunks in, in 1979, and they actually, the league threatened to fine him. And they started installing breakaway rims, so this wouldn't happen mm-hmm. anymore. All right. It's, uh, you know, it, it got to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what it comes yeah. down to. 
and uh, there there were games that were called because of the fact that 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 backboards were broken and things like that. So, you know, they they, they probably prefer that these things don't happen. <laughs> well, it it makes for, for uh, a moment reasons. on the on yeah. the highlight reel, but yeah, it's I'm sure nobody uh, nobody enjoys having to go in and and replace the the backboard in the middle of a game. Yeah, that's right. They have to figure out how to get a new one. You know, like where do where do you know they have to have a spare on the side? You know, it's not like you're you're replacing the basketball or the baseball. Well, or, I'm sure nowadays you know. they probably do have several spares sitting on the side. But yeah, back when you know those early ones were happening, I'm sure nobody ever imagined that that would happen. Correct. <laughs> and so back back to the sharper image. So you know, Harry is enthusiastic about the uh, basketball hoop and says that he needs one. And then Sally says to him, Harry, we're here for Jess and Marie. I know. We'll find them something. There's great stuff here. And then Sally goes, we should have gone to the plant store. <laughs> and so Harry continues walking around. He's, he's looking at different things. We see we see like a duck phone and we see a, a, a helmet that's sitting on there. And, you know, at this point, uh, you know, <laughs> Harry goes, here, perfect for them. And he hands the, the the hat to to Sally, and he, she goes, "What's that?" And he goes, "A battery operated pith helmet with a fan." Why is this even necessary in life? I don't know. And then he looks at him and he goes, "Look at this! Also makes great fries." Which that line is like that. That's like comedians use that line all the time when they're like you know talking about the features of something. You know, also makes fries for some reason is something that gets tacked on. Yeah. I, Cause when I hear that in this movie, I always think of um, Robin Williams does that as well at the beginning of, Aladdin, Aladdin. you know, so uh, yeah. that's right. All right. I was thinking the same thing. I was going to bring that up. So what, you know, that the, the helmet that he's holding a pith helmet, do you know what a pith helmet is? Uh, it's, I don't know, you know, precisely what it is or what its functionality is. I just know it's, you know, what you always see, like African explorers wearing in old movies <laughs> without the fan, though. <laughs> that's right. It's also known. That's right. It's also known as a safari helmet, a sola tope, a sun helmet. Um, and it, it originally uh, was a, a Spanish military adaptation of uh of of headgear that was that was used in the Philippines. Okay, it's either it's usually dome shaped or shaped and uh obviously some have wider brims than others and things like that. You know, it's something that you see a lot as you said in in uh movies that are dealing with uh you know the the I guess the the British Empire and you know you, you quite often see it with with uh, like British officers and things or like that. Or the best pith helmet in movie you know, history, of course, uh, the one worn by Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet in Spaceballs. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. Um, <laughs> where where he has his He's eyes. Got the little, yeah, there's a little in door the in it. <laughs> yes. You guys found anything yet? That's right. We ain't found yeah great moment that's right (laughs) that's true so there there's a comedian uh named richard buckley 
who became uh, famously known as Lord Buckley. And he would often wear a pith hat helmet in his act that it actually ended up becoming his trademark. So, you know, everyone knows, knows him that way. But as you said, I think uh, Lord Helmet is, uh, uh, or Darth, Darth, Darth Helmet. Helmet. You could call Darth, him Lord Helmet. Darth Lord Helmet. Helmet works. Darth Helmet. Yeah, you could. That's true also. I, I, I think that works there too. And then Harry gets excited even more and he goes, Oh, oh, hold off the dogs. The hunt is over. Sally, this is the greatest. And he picks up the microphone and he goes, Sally, please report to me. And Sally starts walking over to him and he goes, look at this. And he's, he's actually, he goes, this is the greatest. You're going to love this. This is a singing machine. <laughs> now, I love the fact that they call it I, a singing machine. I do, too, because machine. this is before the word karaoke became, you know, part of our common knowledge. You know, we didn't talk about karaoke back in 1989. Uh, correct. Well, we, we, we did. But we'll, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> and then he, he explains to her. He says, look, you sing the lead, and it has the backup and everything. And he says, hey, this is from Oklahoma. And here are the lyrics right here. And he goes, then the, she says, the Siri with a fringe on top? And he goes, yes, perfect. Oh. And the, the music starts playing. And and then Harry like puts his puts his uh, leg up. I love the way that he does it. He starts <laughs> singing. You know, as if he's a cowboy. He goes, yeah. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry when I take you out in my surrey with a fringe on top. And the bobbing, the now bo you. bobbing that he's doing is That's fantastic. Right. Too. That's right. And, you and know, then he goes, now you. His outfit is very Oklahoma appropriate. I mean, he looks like, yes. you know, he's wearing the type of shirt you might see like farmhand wearing. <laughs> Correct. I, 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 think, I think that maybe Harry had already been to the sharper image and knew how to dress. Yes, he came prepared. <laughs> came very prepared. He's wearing the jeans. He's got the, the plaid shirt. Works perfectly. I mean, this machine is humongous. You know, there's there's no question about that, uh, the way that it is. And I love how he like, puts his, he does the Superman pose. Yes. You know, he puts his, his arms at his waist and, you know, uh, put, you know, like uh, shoves out his chest and looks up. <laughs> Yes, it's just really funny the this way, way that he does it. Well, just, yeah, it, I, right. this, this scene, I mean, just the 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 way that he bobs to the music and all that kind of stuff. I mean, anytime I hear that type of like a rhythm in a song or like, especially like a Broadway song, I can't help myself. I do that same thing. It's all because of this movie. You just stand up. You stand up in the middle of the, the, the theater and start uh, bobbing up and down. Yeah, that's me. If you see that happening in a theater production, that's totally me. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> but like my daughter, she listens, she loves Broadway shows and Broadway karaoke shops. When you were in Singapore, the machines, they had the <laughs> microphones, they had the albums, the videos. You know, this was in the early days of DVD, so they were doing things on DVD and stuff. And I just remember thinking I had no idea what a huge deal karaoke was in that part of the world. And then on that same trip. We we did a, a small little jog over to this island in um, that was actually part of Singapore or not Singapore oh, wow. Indonesia, and we went to dinner at this one place. It was a seafood place, and um, it was Friday, so the restaurant was almost completely dead. 
because, you know, that was, I mean, Indonesia has a lot of Muslim population and, and Friday's the day they don't do anything. At least that's my understanding. And so there weren't very many people in the restaurant. It was one of those restaurants where you like pick out your meal. They have the, the fish swimming around in these things out there and you say that one, you know, but there was karaoke going on in the other room. Yeah. There was karaoke going on in, in the other room there. And one of the guys I was with is a guy who's known as being a horrible singer. He prides himself on being a horrible singer. And he got up and he always says the only song that he ever know, knew was Chattanooga Choo Choo. So he went up and did karaoke to Chattanooga Choo Choo in this restaurant. And I remember just the looks on people's faces because, you know, they took it seriously and it was just a big joke. <laughs> they take it to hammer and <laughs> bam. You know, and, and, oh, wow. So it was like, <laughs> they were like, this guy's not good at all, you know? So anyway, so yes, Chattanooga Choo Choo in Indonesia karaoke. That's my big memory there. Ah. Okay. See, I remember that, that uh, in 1986, I was at a bat mitzvah for one of one of my classmates and she had a room where they were doing karaoke you know where everyone can make a tape and i actually did twist and shout and i didn't know <laughs> basically how karaoke yes. worked and i remember that i had the, the the cassette and through most of the cassette there's like just the music because i wasn't i wasn't getting my cues right and stuff like that i think there was someone there who was like trying to help me Along the way, it was, you know, twist and shout. And there's most of the, them were just completely blanks. But I, I still remember that. It was it was at Amy Sabota's bat mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you mentioned that, the, the you know, like the tapes and such, I remember earlier in the 80s uh, being on trips with friends of mine. And a lot of times when you would go to places like, Nashville or the Mall of America or someplace like that, you know, they would have these things where I guess essentially it was karaoke, but you would go in the studio and they would play the music for whatever song and you'd sing along with it. And then they give you a tape of that. And I did twist and shout with some of my friends. I remember that. I remember we did Ghostbusters once. So yeah, <laughs> we did that kind of karaoke. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, very cool. So so basically, where do you think the, the name karaoke comes from? Like, what is the meaning of the word karaoke? Do, do, oh, I was going to say, I don't get any points if I just say Asia. No, I, no, I, no, sorry. No, that's, that's the extent says, of what I know. <laughs> no. So the, the, the term karaoke, according to what I found, is it's Japanese for kara means empty. And uh, it's it basically means empty orchestra. And actually, as I'm saying this, it makes sense. You know that the, it reminds me. Uh, no, sense. it reminds yeah. me of of the Karate Kid. You know where he talks about that uh, karate ah. is empty, empty, empty hand. hand. Yes. There you go. Right. So it's empty orchestra with empty hand. You know we we needed Mr. Miyagi to to teach everyone how to do karaoke. You know maybe. <laughs> oh, see. That's a missed kid series. A missed opportunity where Miyagi does karaoke. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, get get Pat Pat Morita, Martin Cove. There you go. Get all those guys together, do karaoke. That's right. So it, actually, during the 1960s, they had a TV show in America 
on NBC that was a karaoke-like series. It was called Sing Along with Mitch, featuring, featuring Mitch Miller, who had a chorus. And they, they would have uh, the lyrics to the songs on the TV screen for the audience to be able to participate. Um, obviously, these were sing-alongs, so it was a little bit different because, you know, you actually had someone singing as, to just, as opposed to just having the music. And then in the 1970s, in Japan, a man, and I hopefully will get this pronunciation right, Shigaichi Nagishi, uh, he had an electronics assembly business in Tokyo, and he made the first prototype in 1967 and uh, started uh, mass-producing coin-operated versions under a similar, uh, under, you know, of, under his brand name was called Sparkobox. I don't really know where that comes from. Mm. And then in 1971, a nightclub musician named Daisuke Inoue, something like that, um, invented his own karaoke machine in the city of Kobe. And what they say is that his biggest contribution was the fact that he understood the difficulty amateurs had in singing pop songs so he recorded his own versions of popular songs in keys that made them easier for casual singers. And as such, he also included a rudimentary uh, reverb function, function to help mask singers' deficiencies. For these reasons, he's often considered to be the inventor of the modern business model for karaoke, even though he was not the first to create a machine and didn't file a patent. So, you know, basically... He could have helped me with with uh, twist and shout all those years ago. <laughs> well, and you know, you, you're talking about some of those earlier iterations. You're talking about a, a TV show, was it, where they were yeah. singing along? Um, mm-hmm. You said about Mitch Miller. And yes. It made me think about how even further back there were short subjects that showed up in theaters that were meant as sing along shorts, and they would have like lyrics at the bottom of the screen and there was the whole follow the bouncing ball thing and the yes. ball would bounce over the lyrics and they they recreate that um in uh have you seen the great race like edwards film the great the great race with yes. Uh, yes. Yes. jack lemon and tony curtis and nelly wood and they do a a follow the bouncing ball thing um towards the end of that movie when they're doing that song the the sweetheart tree from that right. movie they do um, that also so in yeah, man, man on man on the moon Men on the Moon with, uh, you know, Andy yeah. Kaufman. Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. do that at the end also, which, uh, which right. is, is great the way they do that. Um, you can uh, hire, in many countries, you can actually hire taxis that are known as karaoke taxis. <laughs> where you can sing songs, uh, you know, as, as you're going and stuff like that. See, now if, if in our earlier minute, earlier in the week, if, Marie and Jess had gotten into a karaoke taxi, then it would have made perfect sense. And Harry and Sally could have been like, see here, this will be perfect for them. Now they can do what they did in the taxi in their own living room. They'll love it. There you go. That's true. That's true. Um, There's also something known as movie Have you ever heard of that? Is it like where they do like sing-along editions of movies. Like I know they do that at like the album. No, where, house where you where, go and where see. You, it's you, you basically, they, they use is karaoke using scenes from movies where you have amateur actors replace their favorite movie stars in popular movies. And they usually, <laughs> and they, they basically mute the, the, the sound of the actors and you get to, to, to do it. 
And this this originated oh. in 2003. No, I hadn't heard of that. <laughs> but but going off of what I was saying, I know that they do do screenings of you know like musicals like Grease or you know things like that at places like Alamo Draft House where they encourage you to sing along with the movie and they put the lyrics on the screen and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So where do, where do you think the first uh, depiction of karaoke in American pop culture was? The first depiction of karaoke in pop culture. In American pop culture. In American pop culture. I don't know. I mean, all I can think of is when Harry met Sally, but I don't know that okay. that's correct. No, it's not correct. They're, they're actually, uh, it's, it's a debate between two different things. One of them is there's a music video from the Talking Heads called Wild Wild Life, which came out oh, in 1986. Which has the uh, song is from the movie True Stories, and they they do a a karaoke type of thing in that movie. The music video is essentially a scene from the movie in in a slightly different form. So right. yeah, right. But also there is actually an episode of Magnum PI, uh, the episode The Man from Marseille, <laughs> which was broadcast in 1985, where they actually have a karaoke bar. Ah. In that, in that in episode. Hawaii, of course. Yes, yeah. of course, of course. Um, now, do you know what city in America is known as the capital of karaoke? The capital of karaoke. Um, I don't know. Council Bluffs, Iowa. Why not? No. <laughs> Port Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yes. All right. Let's let's talk about a few of the world's records with uh, with karaoke. Okay. Um, how many people do you think uh, participated in the world record for the most people singing karaoke at the same time? Um, it was five thousand. It was at a NASCAR uh, race in two thousand nine. Okay, there were over a hundred sixty thousand people singing Garth Brooks's song "Friends in Low Places." <laughs> okay. All right. Now, what do you think the uh, Hungary holds the record for the longest karaoke marathon? How long do you think this marathon lasted? Wait, who holds the record for the longest karaoke marathon? The, in the, it happened in the country of Hungary. In Hungary. Yes. How long did it last? Um, let's say uh, a week. It lasted one thousand and eleven hours. Okay, between the 20th of July 2011 and the 31st of August 2011. So we're talking about five weeks. A month and a half almost, yes. yeah. They said that each song was over three minutes long and the gap between songs was no longer than 30 seconds. And with and in any given two-hour period, they did not repeat any of the songs. Wow. Okay, and, okay, and the longest karaoke solo marathon, where would you think that is? So one person, one person doing it nonstop. One person. How many songs? Uh, how long or how many songs do you think he he, he sung? Uh, um, let's say forty-eight hours. He sang one thousand two hundred ninety-five songs in a grand total of one hundred and one hours, fifty-nine minutes, and fifteen seconds. So we're talking almost 102 hours. You go to the bathroom. Dude. You gotta go to the bathroom and stuff. And maybe man. they brought him a cup. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not the sort of karaoke bar I want to be at. Uh, no, I'll tell you not. that right now. Probably not. It probably smells a little bit. 
Um, and then we're, we, we, we talked about Oklahoma. So what, what do you know about the, the, the musical Oklahoma? Well, it's Rodgers and Hammerstein, right? Correct. Um, I know I saw my cousin perform in a production of it in, when she was in high school. <laughs> um, and was she doing the I Billy mean, Crystal Bob? I know the. No, I don't. Re- I don't remember what part she was in it. But um, I got to admit, I don't remember that much about the story. When I think about Oklahoma, the musical, I mean, I don't I haven't. I think I've seen parts of the movie, but I haven't seen the whole movie. Um, and I always think about, of course, the title song, Oklahoma, where the wind comes, yeah. open, you mm-hmm. know, that thing. Sur- Surrey with the fringe on top. And then my mom used to always joke about the song in there about Judd Fry is dead. <laughs> um, those are the three that I remember. Poor Judd Fry is dead. Uh, but um, as far as the, I, I couldn't tell you the storyline of it. I, okay, I so do not it was, remember. I know it's ba- it's based yes. on another work. Yes. Isn't it? It's based Very on a, like Very another good. play. Yeah. Okay. So it is actually the first musical written by Roger and Hammerstein. Okay. It's based on a 1931 play by Lynn Riggs called Green Grow the Lilacs. Okay. It takes place in uh, 1906 in. Uh, on on a where a farm girl named Lori Williams, and it's all about her courtship with two rival suitors, Curly McLean and uh, Judd Fry. And then there's a second romance going along with uh, the cowboy Will Parker and Ado Annie. Okay, the original Broadway production debuted on March 31st, 1943. It was a hit, and it ran for. 2,212 performances. And then in 1955, they uh, they had in, uh, they made it into a, a movie, which is the one we're, we're obviously talking about here. And Rodgers and Hammerstein actually won a special Pulitzer in 1944 for writing um, Oklahoma. So that's also pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the – I think the movie is now on um... – Disney Plus because it probably was released by 20th Century Fox and so I think it's it's one of the few uh, forays into having cl- a classic film on Disney Plus that's out there right now. Right. Mm, yeah. No, I don't know who uh, who released it. So you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the the script? I will say you, you mentioned briefly that you know this this ends right as. Um, he goes through the lyrics. Harry goes through the lyrics, and then he says, "Now you," and then this minute kind of ends. And because of that, whenever I hear this song now, I always hear "Now you" <laughs> as a part of the lyrics. Um, so uh, thank you, Billy Crystal, for that one. Also, I wanted to throw out because I was looking up stuff about the song as well. And was very surprised to see that um, this song, Surrey with a Fringe on Top, became a regular part of the performances of uh, uh, jazz musician Miles Ooh. Davis. He would regularly play Surrey with a Fringe on Top as a part because of, of Harry Metalli. And I thought, oh, that's really. I don't think it was because of this movie, 
but um, it, it's just something that as I looked up information, I saw that this song uh, kind of had a a new life because uh, Miles Davis used to play it all oh, wow. the time. That's very cool. All right. So the, the script is a little different here. So it, it starts off with the introduction, uh, the sharper image. One of those places with gifts for people who have everything. Harry and Sally browsing through. There's a remote-controlled blimp, a giant Swiss Army knife, etc. And Sally says, we're never going to find anything here. We should have gone to the plant store. She picks up a pith helmet with a battery-operated fan in it, puts it down in disgust. Harry says, here, the perfect thing. Everyone needs one of these. He turns on one of those machines that allows you to sing the lead to the backup vocal and the instrumental on a song. Harry puts in one of the cassettes. Immediately, the instrumental for the Surrey with a fringe on top comes on. Harry starts singing giddily. And then it, uh, at the end, it says, he's really carried away. He continues to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, a lot of the intricacies of this part of the of this scene is uh, Billy Crystal improvising. That's yeah. right. That's the way it seems. So, yeah, that works. So, every Wednesday, we have a segment called Harry Burns Hump Day where my guests will give their top five Billy Crystal films or Billy Crystal performances. So, Todd, what have you got for us? All right. For Billy Crystal, number five, I went with City Slickers. Uh, number four, uh, since I, for me at least, voice performances count, so I'm going to go Monsters, Inc. Number four. Uh, number three, Throw Mama from the Train. Number two, by just slightly, number two is when Harry met Sally, because I'm sorry, uh, my number one, though very brief, has to be The Princess Bride. I just, I crack up every time Miracle Max comes on the screen. So The Princess <laughs> Bride edges out when Harry met Sally just slightly. Okay, that, that, that's fair. I mean, something something has to, to edge out something else. I was very tempted, though, to just throw in this is Spinal Tap just for kicks because he's only on the screen for about 10 seconds as a mime. But I think it's so funny where he's like, come on, come on, mime is money. <laughs> <laughs> typical, typical uh, uh, Billy Crystal line. What, can you, what, yep. what do you think? works. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that. So you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with Todd Liebenau. Absolutely. So the blog is called Forgotten Films. That's at ForgottenFilmCast.wordpress.com. Uh, there you also find links to my podcast, which is called The Forgotten Filmcast. And then follow me on Twitter at Forgotten Films. That's films with a Z. All right. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, MovieRoundMinute.com. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.